everybody it is me matt wright welcoming you here on a beautiful thursday evening live from muddied water studios right here on the writer's block uh first and foremost allow me to thank the fantastic and wonderful people at nakamal at home that is nakamal at home.com for the kava i'm drinking on today's episode uh to them and to all of you tuning in this evening I say, Bula Banaka. Uh, uh, thank you all for tuning in. Truly, honestly, uh, it is the greatest joy of my life that this is what I get to do uh, for fun. And uh, you guys are a part of that reason that I get to do this for fun. So thank you for when we all have a lot of choices to uh, on what we can do on any given evening. Uh, so thank you for choosing to spend your Thursday evenings here with me on the writer's block, a Muddied Waters Media production. Um, I've got a great guest tonight. Very excited to have him on. Um, But before we get there, we have to pay the bills. And that starts, as always, with the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing uh, caucus and second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party. Also the uh, largest waffle-related caucus anywhere. Ever. Probably. I'm going with it. Probably. Um, If you want to become a member of the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, find the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus Facebook group and uh, just hit the join button. Uh, If you want to become a voting member, head on over to the Muddied Waters store at muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store where you can pick up 
Muddied Waters Media gear, including Waffle House Caucus shirts and buttons. And then you will be a voting member, but you can also get fantastic Muddied Waters Media merchandise that is not available anywhere else. This episode is also brought to you by the Gravy King. Tom Queter is rolling for Senate and uh, for State Senate in New York. Uh, and uh, you know he's going to be fiscally responsible because he brings his own chair to the state Senate. Um, so if you want somebody who claims to run better than Albany and get it, because that's funny, because he can't run or walk because he's in a wheelchair, um, vote for Tom. Go to tomfor52.com. That is T-O-M-F-O-R 52.com. And throw Tom your support today. Mudwater, the most aptly named sponsor that Muddied Waters Media has ever received. Uh, Mudwater is a coffee alternative made with masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. I highly recommend adding honey to it, but with one seventh of the caffeine and all of the benefits of fungi, not those benefits, other benefits that fungi have. Uh, you can uh, enjoy the wonderful effects of mud water and feel all excited without the caffeine crash that you get from coffee or that I get from coffee and bang and soda and everything else that I drink that's caffeinated. Um, they also just came out with this new product called Rest that has rooibos chai, uh, cinnamon, uh, lion's mane, uh, and some other stuff. I don't remember all the ingredients for it, but uh, it's uh, supposed to lull you into a peaceful sleep at night. And I am definitely looking forward to trying that. Joe Soloski. Joe Soloski is running for governor of Pennsylvania. And uh, if you live in the Pennsylvania region of these United States, you should definitely vote for him. Uh, he is not only the voice of Muddied Waters of Freedom, but he is a fantastic human being and uh, just a truly stand-up guy who is a principled libertarian. And I have never been more honored to throw my support behind somebody running for a political office of any denomination. Um, so uh, vote for Joe Solosky. He is the key to Pennsylvania's success. Jack Casey. Jack Casey is a fantastic human being. And I don't care what any of you say about him. Jack Casey is a wonderful person. And I will never read these books because I like to make fun of them way too much for me to read them and then feel bad about it later. But you should read these books and tell me if they're any good. Uh, I will, again, I'm never going to read them. Not even once because I know way too much about Jack Casey to even want to open a book that he has written. Uh, but you should and let me know how they are. Uh, I understand that they show the journey of Jack's personal descent into anarchism uh anarchism and uh and woven across the fabric of a fantasy world that sounds like game of thrones had sex with lord of the rings so you should definitely go and pick up jack casey's books um and if you are looking to save money in the future buy your friends those books Give them to them for Christmas, and then they won't invite you out anywhere ever again. So you will save a ton of money. All you have to do is buy Jack Casey's books and give them to your friends. It is a win-win for everybody. Um, so without further ado, let me welcome on my next guest. 
Paul Robbins Jr. is the communications director of the Alaskan Libertarian Party. He is also a Marine um, and an elected Libertarian on the school board for the Ketchikan, Ketchikan School District, uh, where I happen, I used, I lived in Ketchikan for a summer. And uh, I am very, I am looking forward to having Paul on, getting a chance to talk to him about uh, everything Ketchikan and uh, see what it is that he's got in store. So please welcome with me, everybody, Paul Robbins Jr. Paul, thank Love you so much. Love the Batman entrance. Hey, Matt. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your Thursday, uh, Thursday afternoon where you are. Um, to to hang out with me for about an hour. Yeah, Thursday afternoon, and uh, cheers to all my fellow veterans. Uh, we Marines are on our second day of celebrating because yesterday was the 246th birthday of our beloved Corps. Right. So we are on our second day of sanctioned alcoholism uh, in celebration <laughs> of something. So having a good time. So I, obviously you were a Marine. Um, so I have to ask: Is your favorite? flavor uh strawberry raspberry or gold none i'm uh i'm a purple guy Purple's oh you're purple purple all right yeah Pur- mm-hmm. pur- purple crayon got it um <laughs> yeah i actually my wife made a cake uh, last year for the main core birthday and we decorated it with crayons and took it down the american Legion. i brought all my marine buddies in and i brought out my sword and we cut that cake with the sword and had our little mini ceremony for the birthday so yeah, we've adopted that joke. It doesn't right. harm us. <laughs> yeah, I um, I know I have tons of like uh, I have tons of friends who have served in all branches of the military, um, and uh, all of my all of my Marine friends, they they get on board real quick with the crayon joke. They they mm-hmm. they don't mind the crayon joke. They're like, oh yeah, no, like purple's my favorite, you know, or red's my, you know, whichever one they are. Uh, they pick their favorite color or whatever, and they say, that's my favorite. But the joke that they will never get on board with, which means it's my favorite, is when I say, you're just Navy guys. And they don't like that joke at all. Like, you're just we a department. The, we are the men's department of the Navy. <laughs> right. Every, every, every drunk needs a sober ride. I've heard that as well. Um, my, what is it? Marines, the my ma- ass. The Navy. My ass rides yeah, my on ass Navy, rides equi- Navy equipment. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the uh, one. The Navy is the greatest Uber service in the world. We love them. <laughs> um, so you're so obviously you're a Marine. Um, since we just talked about it for five minutes, but so obviously you're a Marine. <laughs> How is it that you went from being in the armed services, being a Marine, uh, to getting to finding your way to the libertarian party like how did you make that switch it was a a fairly quick transition and the military service was only about half of it so i was uh, a staunch conservative and lifelong republican due to my family and then due to being in the marine corps which is a rather red organization in general right Uh, so that that was kind of my upbringing i really didn't move towards libertarianism until well, I, I'm described as a Gary Johnson libertarian. So right around his run, I had just recently gotten out of the Marine Corps in 2015. I was working in California. And it was a combination of my reflection on my service and my deployments to Iraq 
and what those meant, why they happened. I started doing more research into the war itself and the start. And, and of course, what I saw over there as what we were doing in occupying Fallujah and Ramadi and uh, the impact it was having and the, the lack of cause behind it, the more I looked into it, started to really eat away at me. And then the other half of it that pushed me towards libertarianism, other than Gary Johnson just being a fantastic guy and a charismatic salesman for the Libertarian Party, was I couldn't believe when you leave the military, like I was in San Diego at Camp Pendleton for five years and thought California was the greatest place. But that's because I didn't have to pay any of the taxes and fees right. and cost of living. I was completely insulated from, from that by the military. I like to joke that after you leave the military, you have to grow up because you have to deal with everything that they've been protecting you from, like healthcare costs and taxes and things like that, that you've right. never had to deal with your entire military career. But trying to take care of my family in Northern California with my new job, I was broke all the time and just barely making ends meet. And this was, and I was making more money than I was as a Sergeant in the Marines. And that just all started to click. I started looking at the numbers and what I was getting back for those numbers. And uh, I'm not a proponent of taxation as theft. I hate that term. It's, it's, you can explain it as extortion uh, is a more appropriate term. Uh, I, yes. I also don't think that the term is very effective, so I don't use it very often. But taxation is a, a terribly misused thing. And I like the extortion thing because as angry as I was at how much of my money they were taking, I was even angrier when I looked at how they were misusing it. Which is which is a huge portion of it. Um, it I, I personally believe, me, um, and I'm not going to say that this is an all-encompassing, all, all people that watch this show should believe this, but this is, I believe anything that we have could be funded privately. Um, and if it couldn't be funded privately, why do we have it? If you need to force people to pay for it, it's something that we don't need. Um, I think that the military would be funded by different uh, people and organizations in order to make sure that things are protected. Um, I think that uh, any hospitals could be funded privately. You wouldn't need the government uh, interference in it. You don't need the taxes. You don't need to steal money from people in order to pay for it. Uh, people will help out, especially when they get to keep 30 to 40 to if this uh, Build Back Better goes through 60% of their paychecks, if they get to keep that, they are going to be more willing to give money in order to uh, support the services that they support. So if you're somebody who is very anti-war and doesn't like the military, you wouldn't give any money to the military. If you're somebody who doesn't care about low-income health, you wouldn't give any money to hospitals in low-income areas. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, but other people would. Uh, you People would give money to support things like a private food stamp, uh, a private food bank, things like that, where, pe where people of lower incomes can go and get food. Um, uh, God, I don't remember the name of the singer. There's a guy, I think it's Jason Aldean, but nobody should quote me on that. Uh, he opened a food bank in Nashville where if you don't make a lot of money, you can just go and grab food. And no government needed. He just opened it. He's, he pays to stock it. And that is more effective than anything that the government does, in my personal sure. opinion. Um, I'm with you philosophically on that, Matt, but I, I want to say that one, one of the, I think, weaknesses of the Libertarian Party and Libertarians in general when we talk about this, because philosophically and morally, 
we are right when it comes to voluntary association and all these things and right. getting rid of taxation for that voluntary involvement. There's no arguing that our way of doing things is more morally sound and likely would be more effective and lead to a happier society. The problem we have is uh, a lot of us are so hardcore about it that we don't bother to explain that there needs to be a transition. Like it's all about end all taxes today. Right. Okay. But that is going to be detrimental to our society. Uh, it is going to be a horrible thing for our country over the short term. Over the long term, will we recover and things get better? Maybe. But we need to be able to talk about scaling things back and moving towards that future of voluntary association. Maybe even talking in the middle about, hey, instead of getting rid of these taxes, maybe now we put in laws where the taxpayer gets to say no to a certain amount of things and where their money can go. And that can be the start of your involvement in, in being more, uh, having more say in your money before we finally just give it all back to people and show how that voluntary association works. But we have a huge problem, I think, in the LP about uh, appearing as those hardliners where we just want to end all taxes today right. without thought of those repercussions. And I, I will agree with you on that. Um, I do. The end goal is no taxes, everything voluntary association. You are going mm -hmm. to have to scale it back. And to do so, libertarians are going to need to be elected in order to help cut spending in the federal government and in state governments. Um, it, they're going to have to be elected in order to cut spending. So that way you can say, okay, we're cutting this spending. Let's give this back to the taxpayers. No, we aren't going to just right. pocket the rest of the cash and like move it over somewhere else. No, we are no longer using this money. We are not taking it anymore from taxpayers. So we're going to cut it by this much um, and then start transitioning to a system where uh, somebody, Stephen Andrew Witt in the comments said a fair tax, um, a fair tax or a flat tax. Uh, but you get to say which departments would get that money because then you are saying where mm -hmm. your money is going and there needs to be right. uh, open source accounting so you can see that, yes, my money went to the park service or my money went to the military or my money went to healthcare, or you know something like that. And then as you continually cut back on government spending, people keep getting more of their money but they will enjoy giving it to the places, to the departments, to the uh, organizations that they enjoy giving it to. And those things will stay open, they'll stay funded, and they won't have to deal with the gov government bureaucracy that uh, everybody has to deal with now. Um, so yes, I 100% agree with you. Uh, we do say it seems like a hardline thing, but I think most libertarians... Um, understand that yes you need to have it scale before we can make it to that point um so when you were when you were a marine uh before the show we talked about this a little bit uh you spent 12 years i think you said yes 12 years in what was it you did i was a public affairs marine so i started off writing stories and taking photos for a base newspaper in camp pendleton and then i moved on to community relations, helping set up parades and social events and hearing complaints about the sound of freedom flying over their houses. And uh, then I moved on to media relations where we just fielded all the calls from the media about our operations or what was going on. And uh, as I got up in rank, all of those responsibilities just got, got put into one and it became just a general public affairs role for whatever unit I was attached to and uh, dealing with all of their external communications. Very cool. 
Um, very cool. Um, of all the jobs you could have as a Marine, that one seems like it would be one of the better ones. It is the best one, and I'll tell you why. Because I got to do everything that was cool in the Marine Corps without the negatives. For example, I decided to do story in the previous assault school. So I went out there, took a bunch of pictures, and then I let me drive an AP. I got to go fast roping with uh, Force Recon, but I didn't have to do the 18-mile ruck they did before we went fast roping. You know, I go and <laughs> I fire all the machine guns with the infantry guys, and when they go back to clean it, I go back to my office and edit my photos and send them copies later. They're excited they've got awesome photos of them shooting their machine guns. And when I was deployed to Iraq, my job was to attach to the infantry units. I was attached to an infantry battalion, and I would just pick which patrols or operations to go on, be a part of that squad, and then when we were done with whatever mission we had, I would come back and write a story about it. And I'll tell you what, uh, let me piss off some libertarians real quick and tell you, I was, I was in Ramadi writing stories about kinetic operations, about how we were engaging the enemy, trying to take back sections of that city that, that were contested. And uh, three or four of those stories were thrown in the garbage before I just gave up and kind of towed the neighboring line even brought in one of my officers from public affairs to argue with the XO to say, hey, this is what's happening. These stories need to go out. But the the line I got back from the XO was, we aren't fighting here. We're supporting the Iraqi army in peaceful operations. And at that time, we were being attacked 56 times a week. So I kind of looked like looked at him like he had a, something growing out of his right. forehead. And, he, he had the third but eye. I was, yeah, but I was a Marine, so it ended up being I, sir, and I started writing stories about delivering rice to mosques and, you know, open, reopening schools and things like that. But at the same time, you know, we, during that deployment, lost 13 Marines and had over 100 wounded, and we wanted to pretend like we weren't fighting over there. So that was enraging. That's under, understandably so that that is enraging. When when you are there and you're seeing what is actually happening and then you're being told, no, we can't even report this because we have to continue the lie and push that onto the American people. Um, it was during the surge with the, it was during the surge of troops in Iraq that President Obama put in. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I remember I remember when he did that. Um mm-hmm. So as as a person who's a veteran um, and a member of the Libertarian Party, besides the taxation is theft, what are some other <laughs> what are some other common mistakes that libertarians in general, as well as you know members of all parties, uh, what are some messaging mistakes they make when they are speaking to veterans and trying to get their vote? I think the main libertarian mistake I'll start with is there's a lot of libertarians that like to attack veteran service because they conflate the veterans willingness to serve which we should be celebrating people who want to volunteer to defend us the people who want to voluntarily uh, put themselves in danger on behalf of others the the oath that they swear is one libertarians should support to defend the people in the constitution but they conflate it with the wars that they're set to fight the decisions that the government makes and that to be quite truthful the the dishonor and the betrayal that our federal government has undertaken for the past 20 years of all veterans and the oath that they swore and the the reasons they joined. So we'll have libertarians, you know, back in the Arvin Gore days and stuff like that, you know, always calling us murderers and baby killers and things like that. And uh, there's certain extreme members 
of uh, probably small L libertarians for the most part, but who, who like to attack veterans for their choice. And how could you possibly join an organization, you know, knowing that you're going to be committed to these atrocities and things like that? Well, first of all, most of us joined when we were 18. I don't know how brilliant all of you were when you were 18. <laughs> but I wasn't. Uh, right. It took me a long time to come to where I am today and an understanding of uh, how the government misuses our military and uh, how unjust our wars have been. But at the time, I was a young man who wanted to serve. I wanted to carry on my family legacy of serving in the Marines and the Naval Services, and I wanted to be a part of something bigger. I had genuine and heartfelt reasons that, in general, libertarians would support to serve, and those were betrayed. And that's how we need the message to veterans nowadays, is we understand that your oath has been betrayed. We understand why you joined. We understand that your service was still honorable, and you did the best you could in the situation that you were in. And it is our job as a libertarian party to make sure that that is never done to you ever again, that we're never entangling you in foreign wars that never should have happened, and that if we ever do decide on a rare occasion that a libertarian would, that you need to leave these shores and go fight that it will be for a truly honorable reason actually defending the people of this country. Yes, I, I agree 100%. Uh, one thing one thing I kind of want to touch on, uh, much like Republicans will say, that person's a veteran, you have, you know, you have to respect them. Um, Democrats, right. Uh, and that's, that's what I want to touch on. Veterans, I respect... The vet, like a veteran, like I, I respect you. I respect my friends who are veterans. I respect a lot of people who are veterans. But just because somebody is a veteran doesn't mean that they are worthy of my respect or anybody else's. All respect has to be earned. Right. Um, I know a lot of veterans that are for terrible like, people. Sure, I was going to go with the much worse word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I know, I know a lot of veterans who are you know, terrible people and they haven't earned any sort of respect from me, but I know a lot of veterans who have, and those are the ones I respect. I don't respect the ones who just expect it just because they served. Um, so, but yes, I do agree that not every, when I joined, cause I, I was in the army. Um, I, uh, I joined, I signed up when I was 17 and, uh, you're not smarter at 17 than you are at 18. Uh, in fact, you're probably dumber. Um, so, you know, signing my signing away, you know, years of my life at a young at when I'm not even legally old enough to pick who gets to choose to send me somewhere um, is not the brightest thing that somebody can do. Uh, and I still respect anybody. I still respect my friends that do it. But because of that, I learned there are a lot of people in the military who aren't good people, and I'm not going to respect them just because they served. However, I'm not going to not like all veterans because some of these people are terrible people. Uh, so right. libertarians – Sorry, go ahead, please. The military is a diverse organization, like you're saying. Exactly. It's extremely diverse. Not, And I'm not just talking about color, religion, creed, anything like that. I'm talking about uh, in the reasons that they join in the type of people that they are, these are all diverse things. So just saying that you're a veteran and because you serve, I respect you is, uh, it lacks any critical thought really. That's exactly, it's, it's a talking point, uh, and an empty talking point at that. I, I don't automatically respect veterans either. 
just because you decided to serve doesn't make you a great person. Like I said, you could have decided to serve because you had no other choice. That's make it based on your socioeconomic situation where you are. You could have joined, and this happens in the Army and the Marine Corps, you could have joined because the other uh, reason, the other place you could have went is jail. My dad had a choice between being an 11 Bravo in the Army or spending a couple years in jail. And uh, it was a hard choice, but he chose the Army. And uh, <laughs> so, the, and you can respect, you should start out respecting anyone. I'll, I'll say that. You should start with respecting an individual, period. So you can have respect for everyone, whether they're better or not. But I think where the problem is, and I think what you're leading to, Matt, is there's an expectation that you consider every veteran a hero. And that is absolutely wrong. Right. Because as we've mentioned, there are veterans who are flat out terrible people. And then there are veterans who served and they deserve respect for taking the oath and stepping forward and serving for good reasons. But that doesn't make you a hero. If you never left, left uh, Camp Pendleton, San Diego, and you spent four years enjoying the beaches and working in an admin shop, Thanks for helping. You did a good job, Marine. And you're not a hero. I did multiple deployments to Iraq. I am not a hero. I did my job over there. I did a good job. Uh, nothing heroic about it. That term is, is for very specific things. Wearing a uniform and swearing an oath and doing your job does not make one a hero. I, I agree 100%. Um, switching gears uh, mildly. Not really. New York Times uh, recently published an article uh, stating that veterans have become the unlikely lobbyists in the push to legalize psychedelics. Um, And I know that this has been a big thing. They've talked about how um, psilocybin mushrooms uh, have been known to kind of help with PTSD. Um, Also, I hear like ketamine does the same, like also does the same thing, but we're just going to keep on the psychedelics instead of hitting the ketamine. what 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 are your thoughts on uh, whether or not psychedelics help with these things and whether it should be legal? Well, I think you should explore every avenue to help with uh, mental issues, whether it's veterans or just uh, our citizens in general. Mental health issues are huge across the United States, and we're really just breaking uh, or touching the surface of the problems as we realize how many people are afflicted with mental conditions. So when we see opportunities to help people, whether it's big pharma's pills or it's natural remedies like marijuana or, or psychedelics, we should be all behind them. And, and it's great that veterans are able to do this. We have this, this is where we take advantage of that propaganda that the Democrats and Republicans have put out about us and that we're heroes and everything we say has to be applauded. So if we're gonna be given that fake power, Let's absolutely use it to help each other and push things like stop throwing people in cages for marijuana because it actually helps us cope with our PTSD. Stop trying to throw people in cages for popping mushrooms because that doesn't harm anyone, but in fact, it could help some people. Right. And so if we have that platform and we're able to do it, great. But uh, I'd like to see more veterans pushing for the repeal of the AUMF uh, as excitedly as they are pushing to pop mushrooms. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So uh, completely switching gears. Uh, you you are an elected libertarian, which I love saying those words. I love saying those words to it's people. One term. <laughs> one term? 
Oh, I said it's a fun term to say. Oh, it's a fun. T- oh, okay. I thought you said one term. I was like, oh, you're only you're only going for one, huh? Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you you are an elected libertarian, um, and there were two other libertarians elected in your town last week. Uh, one other elected last month in October. We had we had October elections for local. Oh, okay. Uh, and he was elected and immediately made school board president. So he's on the school board with me. The other libertarian that I mentioned was actually elected last year, and he's on the borough assembly. So we have one assemblyman and two school board members here in Ketchikan that are elected libertarians. And we actually have a story about the three of us and not only how we got elected, because we want to share that so other libertarians can can get those tips on how to be locally elected, but also what we've accomplished and why it matters. Because something I'm trying to push for the ALP here is if you want to win statewide, if you want to win all these national races we have fun playing in, first you have to show people how libertarians govern. So they have to show people how Stephen Bradford helped create the local election fund, which took away the assembly's ability to throw their pet projects into the school district's uh, budget and allow the school district to determine their budget and tell the assembly this is what we want to do and then the assembly just approves it. And then Austin, our assembly member, he said, why do we have these stupid ordinances in here that don't allow food trucks in our tiny community? So he was able to make the assembly defeat and get rid of that ordinance. And now we have food trucks popping up. And not only do we have an opportunity for more local businesses, but we have more food options being brought to our small community, which is a big deal in Ketchikan. Only 13,000 people, we only have so many restaurants. So anytime there's a new type of food popping up, we're excited. <laughs> and then me, the, the best thing I've been able to do in the past two years is COVID and schooling, right? That's a tiny bit of a controversy, right? So in Ketchikan, we were able to, in the entire school year last year, and for this one, keep our kids in school five days a week, in school, in front of teachers, the entire time. And that was an insistence by the community. It went against a lot of CDC recommendations and even local state health recommendations. But we decided, based on community input and based on uh, our board believing that the parents need to lead decisions on education that we would keep kids in school we did that and we're about to vote to sunset the rest of the COVID mitigations and bring our schools back to normal uh, despite a lot of controversy that it has now do you guys have the mask mandate right now in the district we have masks mandated at two risk levels high and substantial and then if we're at moderate or low risk based on community spread and how many cases we have in the community, then masks are completely optional, which okay. the optional part was something I put into the Start Strong plan at the beginning of the year. And primary, the primary reason I put it in at that and let them have the high risk mandated masking is prior to that, the levels, the numbers that we put in, we were at, for two thirds of the year, we were at moderate or low, which means for most of the year, we'd have mass choice, which is what I wanted. And then right after school started, we had like 100 active cases a day for two months. So we've been fully masked for the entire school year, uh, despite my best attempts because of this, this crazy outbreak we had in Ketchikan. Fair. Um, so before before we go on, uh, I just I have pictures that I want to show people. If, if anybody out there has not been to Ketchikan, I have a ton of pictures on my phone uh, from my time there. Uh, these are two just from the downtown area, which saying downtown Ketchikan is a very strange thing to say, but, um, but here are a couple of photos from down, from downtown Ketchikan. Uh, 
It's the most southern city in Alaska, correct? Yeah, we're closer to Seattle than mainland Alaska. Yep, closer to Seattle. Uh, and I believe over a million uh, a million cruise tourists a year come here. Um, through, through southeast Alaska, but not Ketchikan. Ketchikan gets a couple hundred thousand. Is it? Okay. I thought uh, the year that I was there, I thought they were celebrating the millionth person. But maybe that was like over a certain amount of time. Um, it's only Juno usually that hits the million mark. Okay, fair. Um, but yeah, when you said that when a new when new food opens in Ketchikan, that it's it's a big deal. Um, there was a it's probably still there. Uh, there was like a convenience store down at the corner of I don't remember the names of the roads. Right before that big uh, set of stairs that I would get reindeer mm -hmm. dogs from like almost every day up until I discovered the Alaskan fish house. And I started going to the Alaskan fish house every day. Um, right. But yeah, there was not a lot of places to eat. Like on my day off, I went to that other, uh, I got a uh, caribou burger from that place that you had to take like the elevator up to. Um, Cape Fox Lodge. That's it. Um, <laughs> that's it. Great burger. Loved it. <laughs> uh, but my time, yeah. in, my time in Ketchikan uh, will always be remembered fondly, minus the job that I had. Uh, but seeing, sure. the, <laughs> seeing the scenery out there and going on the hikes and uh, everything that you were able to do out there, the lakes, the, uh, the, lakes, the ocean, everything, beautiful, uh, absolutely gorgeous. Um, so getting back onto uh, your run, what was it? What libertarian policies did you say, okay, these are the ones that I'm going to push. These are the ones that I'm going to give to the community in order to get elected. Where were your, what were your pillars that got you into office? So the, the thing about local racism, why they're so important, why they're a good starting point is they're nonpartisan, right? So I don't run as a libertarian. Nobody's running as a Republican or a Democrat. You're running as you, and you're just talking about local issues. So, and it's very important the part where I say you're running as you, because that's how I won. That's how Stephen won. Uh, and it's mostly how Austin won, which is in these local elections, especially in small towns, your platform doesn't matter nearly as much as who you are to the community. Stephen Bradford won because he had served on the school board before. He'd served on the assembly. Uh, he was a local attorney. He was uh, active in multiple local charity organizations. He was known throughout the community. I won because I was the VFW commander for two years because I was a volunteer baseball umpire for youth baseball. I volunteered for the local swim team. Uh, I was active in the American Legion. All of these different things where I touched different people in the community positively and demonstrated that I cared about the community through my actions and not just through a political campaign. So that's what gets us elected locally, is our activity in the community. That's the first thing I tell to Alaskans who want to run for office is, what are you doing in your community right now? Yeah. What, how are you going to sell people on the fact that you care about your community? Because anybody can make a website. Anybody can put together some pretty words and say them on a video. That's not what wins votes locally. So that's how we won. But if we had to pick a platform position that was libertarian in nature, that people attached to me that was helpful, I'd have to say that I was a huge advocate for parents being the strongest voices in education. And that is a huge thing uh, here in Ketchikan, here in this small town. They don't want as much state interference. 
I just got back from the ASB conference, it's this uh, state school board conference that they have every year. Right. And one of the things they said in the opening statement was uh, local control not only survived the pandemic, but it was strengthened by it. And that is kind of the mantra. And I was excited to hear that statewide, but that's kind of the mantra of Alaska State Schools was them recognizing, hey, the important thing that got us through this and got us through it stronger was the fact that we let local school boards and communities determine their plans. And that, and personally, like I've, I've been saying this for years, um, that we need to get education out of the federal government's hands uh, and back into the local communities. Um, where I am here in, uh, in Florida, in, I'm in Pinellas County, uh, the education should be handled by the people here. It should be handled. The parents should know what is being taught. Uh, they should be approving what is being taught. It should not be uh, what you're seeing in a lot of places all across the country where parents are going in and saying, we want this uh, taken out of the schools. And the people are like, no, you don't have a choice here. Um, and that was mm -hmm. the death knell for uh, McAuliffe up in Virginia was he was saying, no, you don't. You don't have a right to that. Sorry, like that's just not going to happen. <laughs> uh, and that that crushed him. That killed his campaign. Um, and that I think that you're seeing that a lot of people across the country uh, are wanting to move in the direction that it appears that a lot of Alaska is already in, where you have the local communities getting together, saying this is what we want taught. We don't want this other stuff. Uh, let's just teach this stuff that is important that uh, will educate our kids and we can stay away from all of the other garbage that the federal government wants us to throw in. Um, so as, as a libertarian who lives in Alaska, I'm going to preface this question with the producer of this show is very biased because she lives in Alaska but uh, she uh, she said, "Do you think Alaska will be the first state to go gold? The first state to go gold. Now, part of that preface is, what do you mean by going gold? Are we dominating the state legislature, or is it just mean getting a governor? What is going gold? That's a man. She did not put that in there. So I'm going to say personally, uh, dominating state legislature. Dominating state legislature." I think that Alaska is one of maybe three or four states that has the potential to be first because of the low density of our population and because there are a number of libertarian ideas and ideology points that are already welcomed in Alaska. They just mistakenly think they're Republican. Right. That's fair. That's fair. That's a, that's a lot of places I have discovered is a lot of people mistakenly think they're Republican. Um, yeah. For, for years, I thought I was a Republican for like the smoke weed. And then I found out I'm a Republican. <laughs> and now I'm a Libertarian and it doesn't seem so suspicious. Um, but, um, yeah, so you said, you said two or three states. What do you think the others are? I'm getting some serious audio feedback. Just a second. Let me check my headphones here. You say something again, Matt? Is it, is it, is it my mic? Yeah, it's coming from you. I oh, don't know. Oh, good, good. This happened, this happened on, on Tuesday, Tuesday as well. As well. Huh. My audio sound good? Well, your, audio, your audio sounds fine. Okay, well, while you figure it out, I guess I'll just answer that question you had about the other two, three states, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So I think 
the and, and if you haven't read it, I think the, the book uh, Mullen Lab by Boston Tea Party is the pseudonym he uses, is had a great idea with that. And it's the northwestern states, a number of them, you're talking like Wyoming and things like that, or Marshall Hill. Uh, these these are the places that we're gonna have a chance because we can we can hit these rural areas which tend to be independent thinking folks, which tend to be folks who want to be left alone. Those are going to be the places to begin winning uh, as libertarians, and, and Bert has showed us that way. Uh, we're going to start showing that way locally here in Alaska, because the rural folks are more aligned to want the government out of their lives. It's going to be near to impossible for us in the short term to win in cities and population centers, because their dependency on the government will keep them from from really being open to our ideals. But here in Alaska, in Wyoming, uh, I think New Hampshire is really getting to go. They've got the kind of free state club they're going there. But there's a couple of places where the lower populations where we can really jump in. And once we have elections there and state representatives and we can start showing, this is, and this is the key, showing people what libertarian governance looks like, putting more power back in your hands, being more, transparent with how the money is spent, keeping uh, the government out of education, all of these things that people already want, if we can show them that we actually do it on a small scale, on a local scale, and then on a statewide scale in these smaller states, then we can use those as proof sources to be elected elsewhere. Yeah, I would have to, uh, how's the audio sound? Is it better? It's great now. Okay, cool. Um, it's weird. It, it did it on Tuesday. Uh, also, just randomly, I can't hear it. It's not like to me, it sounds fine. Um, but other people were saying that it wasn't good, and trying to fix it on the fly is never easy. Because I still don't know what no. causes it. I just turn something off and I turn it back on, and it works. Um, yeah, I would. I would agree with you. New New Hampshire's up there. I, I will say, even though I think that they have a bit of a mountain to climb, uh, Pennsylvania. They have been electing a ton of libertarians. Oh, yeah. They've been electing, and I could I could see them getting a good number of libertarians into their state offices. Um, I don't know if they'll take over anytime soon, but I I think that they will be able to build a good base there, which will help the people in Pennsylvania see that that is a direction that they should be kind of heading in. Um, they should be an inspiration to us all. I, I saw that one that they had a, a week ago and immediately started messaging folks here. It said, listen, we're going to be the new Pennsylvania. 2022, let's run every local candidate we find, especially to these positions that aren't normally all that popular. And let's start doing what we're doing here in Ketchikan, just showing people what local libertarian governance is. That's, what, that's why Pennsylvania is going to win, because they're going to have 150 proof sources towards those state offices of look Absolutely. at all these good things we've done. We've got um, – there's a, a city here in uh, Florida called Frostproof, and there is a gentleman who is a member of the Libertarian Party of Florida um, who ran for city council and won. His name's Martin Sullivan, uh, and he stood up against the town, and he stood up against the mayor of the town who was giving contracts to people outside of the town, um, and he said, no, these need to be given to contra – these contracts need to be given to people here. We are going to build the uh, economy here. We are going to bring people back to Frostproof. 
Um, he organized cleanup events that was completely voluntary for the uh, citizens of Frostproof. People showed up. Uh, people showed up. Some people grilled out. Like they turned it into huge events. And uh, he ended up becoming deputy mayor, and then he became mayor. I don't know if he's still on. I haven't talked to him in a little while, but he was showing what it is. And from the time that he got elected onto city council to the time that he became mayor, I think I think they had five people on their city council, and four of them were libertarians by the time he was mayor. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, no, Mark, Martin is a wonderful case study on how just walking the walk will change the minds of the voters. Um, well, you need to get back in contact with him, Matt, or I'd love to talk to him, because if he got four city council members and a mayor, I want to hear all about the libertarian things that came out of there, the, the repeals of previous regulations, the new regulations that came out about opening up businesses. I mean, there's there's got to be just a, a wealth of information to use for oh, yeah. the city. Now, Mar- Martin, is a, Martin is a fantastic guy, and... Uh, he he's a dear friend. I haven't talked I haven't talked to him in a little while just because life. But uh, wonderful yeah. person and, and truly an inspiration. Um, now before because I know that it's it's Veterans Day and I want you to go out and enjoy your second day of uh, of what what'd you call it earlier? Um, sanctioned alcoholism. Sanctioned alcoholism. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sanctioned alcoholism. Uh, as the communications director of the uh, Alaskan Libertarian Party, what perspectives uh, what perspectives can you give libertarian candidates uh, for quick advice on interviews? The first thing I like to tell people, and the most important, is to understand in an interview, in a podcast, whatever you're on, uh, you have the power. Let's use a spike term now. <laughs> the person being interviewed, uh, the guest, is the one who has the information. You get to determine what's shared. You know, to, to be honest, I, I have been answering questions, Matt, but to be honest, I didn't have to. You can ask a question, and then I can just go off on one of my tirades uh, on whatever I want, which you see politicians do all the time. I'm not saying to do time. that. I'm just saying you need to feel comfortable when you're doing an interview because you are in complete control over what you say and over what is shared. So first, be comfortable. And the second is just treat it like a conversation. Be ready. Know what you want to get out. You should have a list of key messages already. I mean, if you've developed a campaign, if you're running for something, you have your key points, right? So you're just going to use the interviewer's questions as an avenue for you to get those key messages out. You're going to get asked a random question, and you're going to acknowledge it and then just move directly into a related key message. Because you just use interviews as a way to talk to both. I feel, so I feel like you already answered my next question. But what are some common traps that you see candidates fall into? The most common one and the, and the, the hardest trap to resist, especially for someone who hasn't done a lot, is the silence trap. So a reporter, you'll give a great, succinct answer, which, by the way, your answer should be short because they're going to cut your audio clips to five to ten seconds, and they're only going to use one to two sentences that you speak to them in a written one, right? Right. So you should have short answers. And then after the short answers, if the reporter hasn't heard what they want to hear, they'll just hold out the mic, the recorder, whatever they got, and just keep looking at you. And most people will get nervous and decide to keep talking. But all you should do in that point is say, did you have another question? Or did that answer your question? And put it back on them to start speaking so that you don't fall into that trap. And the other one is, 
There is no such thing ever. I don't care if it's your blood relative interviewing you. There's no such thing as off the record ever. Absolutely accurate. There is no such thing as off the record. Um, <laughs> as a person who talks on podcasts uh, often, uh, if somebody tells me something, I may not say who said it, but if you tell me something that needs that fits with what I'm talking about, I'm telling people it's going to happen. Yeah. So I'm not going to say who said it, but uh, this is uh, especially if what you say off the record is more interesting than everything you said than anything you're saying on the record. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're yeah. using. 100% accurate. Um, well, thank you. I, thank you so much for spending Veterans Day with me. And thank you uh, absolutely for your service. Because um, you're right. You, you voluntarily signed up. And you chose to do this. And you did it in order to protect the country and defend the Constitution, which I understand completely because it's why I did it. Um, whether or not that's what it ended up happening, that's kind of not our fault. Like we, we had to do what we not had. our control, right? Um, so before I let you go, uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug for uh, Ketchikan or for the Alaska LP? Uh, although my board may not like it, instead I'm going to plug just a veteran thing, and okay. I'd like people because after I get off the show, I'm going to finish drafting my letter. I'm writing a letter to Senators Dan Sullivan and Lisa Murkowski and one representative, Don Young. And it's going to be a letter asking them to cease advocating the responsibility for the declaration and debate of war and to take back the powers that Congress has been giving away to the executive since 1973. And uh, I listened to multiple speeches today from good people, some of them are friends of mine, talking about how much they appreciate veterans and how thankful they are. And my response is always, if you're truly thankful, then on my behalf and on behalf of all veterans, write a letter write a letter to your congressperson. Ask them to repeal the authorization of use of military force from 2001 that is so broad it has allowed us to attack 41 countries uh, since then yeah. because of its broad language. Ask them to repeal that and ask them to take back the responsibility so that we don't see this 20-year-long war again. That is how you thank the veteran properly on Veterans Day. That is how you remember the fallen on Memorial Day. You, ad, you advocate on our behalf and make sure what was done to us is not done again. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, again, thank you for your service. I was thinking about taking a bite of a crayon for you, but then the more I thought about that over the last hour, I decided I'm not going to do that. Mainly because I don't have purple, which would mean I'd have to take a bite of two crayons, so the red and the blue, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to do Chew them that. up and you'd have purple. Right, exactly. Um <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, spending the last hour with me. Um, if you need anything at all, please don't ever hesitate to reach out. Muddied Waters Media uh, is always willing to support you and any of the libertarians up in Ketchikan uh, and up in Alaska. Um, so if you need thank anything, you. please don't hesitate. Uh, we will be more than happy to, uh, to help out any way that we can. That's thank great. You so Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no. Thank you so much. Happy Veterans Day. Thank you absolutely for your service. You too, brother. Bye. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in uh, on this fantastic episode uh, with Paul Robbins Jr. He was a guy. He was he was so good. He was uh, engaging as all hell. Um, I'm very excited to to say that I had him on today. Um, just so everybody knows. 
this weekend. This weekend is going to be a big weekend for Muddied Waters Media. Uh, tomorrow, me, superfan Sarah Andreg, and the two younglings are going to be driving up to Greenville, South Carolina, where we will be staying in the Lions' house, the lion, the Lions' house, the li lion at Jason and Kelsey's. We're going to be staying at Jason and Kelsey's um, for a fantastic weekend at the Libertarian Party of South Carolina's convention. So tomorrow night, we will be recording an episode with Jason, me, Spike, Sarah, Kelsey, Cajun, maybe some others that will be available to anybody out there who subscribes. If you want to become a subscriber, go to anchor.fm slash muddywaters slash subscribe. And for the low price of two cups of coffee from Starbucks a month, you can get access to exclusive content, uh, speeches that Spike has made, uh, speeches that Spike has made, uh, panels that Spike has sat on, episodes like this. Uh, special episodes are coming up as we write them and produce them and because we want to give those subscribers fantastic content. Um, and you will also have access to the Muddied Zoom, which will be taking place. The first one will be taking place next Thursday. In place of the writer's block, we are going to be having the muddied Zoom right here uh, for all of our subscribers. Anybody can watch it. Anybody's going to be able to watch the muddied Zoom. But if you are a subscriber, you will be getting an invite in the mail in the email soon. Uh, so that way you can be uh, a part of the very first muddied Zoom. And then they will be on the second Thursday of every month following. Uh, so... It's worth it. Oh, you get 10% off at our store too. When you go to, uh, when you're spending your time bored at work and you're hitting up muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store, looking at all of the fantastic merch that we have on there, you get 10% off if you are a subscriber. Literally, this thing pays for itself almost immediately. Uh, so there's absolutely no reason that you wouldn't want to do this unless you just like getting all of the wonderful and free content that we already produce and put out and give to everybody uh, because we want to spread the message of liberty all across. So tomorrow, uh, there I don't believe there is an episode of uh, Cajun Eskimo from Bayous to Igloos because we are going to be recording. And then on we're going to be recording uh, the special episode that night. And then on Saturday, you can tune in right here on Muddied Waters Media, where you will be able to get the live broadcast of the South Carolina Libertarian Convention. Uh, and we will be uh, going live, I think, 5 o'clock Eastern, 5 to 7. Uh, we may also be showing the speeches. Not really sure. We're going to have to talk about some of the details with uh, the with the people running the convention, but you'll find out when we do. And then on Monday, then on Monday, I believe Liberty Roundtable, who had to move their show, uh, is going, I believe that they are going to be going live Monday uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Eastern on Monday, Liberty Roundtable. 
Then on Tuesday, join me, join Spike Cohen for a brand spanking new episode of the Muddied Waters of Freedom, where Spike Cohen and I are going to parse through the week's events like the fresh off the convention tour chair boys that we pretend that we are. Um, and then on and then on next Wednesday, you are not going to believe who Spike's guest is. You will be shocked when you find out who Spike's guest is next Wednesday. Um, so tune in for that. And then next Thursday, right here, the very first muddied Zoom. Um, tune in for that. Uh, thank you all so much for uh, tuning in. Have a fantastic weekend. Tune in for all of the shenanigans going on in South Carolina. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, until then, I am Matt Wright, and you are perfect just the way you are. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's a Yeah. Hey.